Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello. Happy Syracuse seems to be doing well in football recruiting week. Yeah, happy we got a four-star, which doesn't always happen week. No, actually, it has not happened much, as I covered on the blog today. It uh, has been a rarity pretty much since 2008. Um, we've had other guys commit, uh, different services have rated guys, different numbers. Um, I was using the 24 seven composite cause I felt like it was probably the best metric, um, around. So that eliminated Tommy DeVito and Rivian Pierce, both of whom had four star, uh, laudits elsewhere, um, last year, but yeah, he would be our first since KJ Williams in 2014, who did make it. <laughs> as we saw many a time <laughs> yeah like it seems like every year we pretty much get like one guy who gets a four star somewhere but we don't get very many of these consensus guys and i'm not sure if, if uh i haven't looked at all four um so i don't know if T- samson's like a true consensus like maybe espn doesn't have a force whatever but he's like you know when you're a composite 24 7 four star that means like you're that's that's a pretty good metric for it uh just because it weighs in the four major sites um, so yeah, I mean, that's big. The fact that he's number two center in class is fun. Um, it definitely made like some headlines around the recruiting world. Um, and the fact that he is going to, uh, enroll in January, at least according, that's uh, his plan right now, uh, based on what he told Stephen Bailey today, um, is very exciting because obviously you don't want to lose guys. And, uh, as we've seen with some of our other bigger recruits in recent years, um, between, you know, losing them from flipping or losing them to academic stuff uh so hopefully he makes it and uh it'll be a nice a nice uh change of pace yeah i mean he definitely seems like less of a risk the fact that he wants to come in january is big um this kind of gets to the point i was making uh when the ncaa voted on the early signing day uh last week on friday um that syracuse was uniquely positioned um they're not the only school by any means but they were uniquely positioned with, under the new the rules to uh to benefit um, because of their the fact that they usually evaluate talent early and well, uh, they're able to get quality commitments early from a lot of different kids. Uh, some of those kids use those commitments to later propel themselves elsewhere. You see this a lot with Miami um, as well and, and a ton of other schools, but Syracuse has fallen victim to it a little bit um, in recent seasons. Um, so it'll not prevent the early commitments necessarily, but it could um, at least maybe have kids think a little bit harder and for the school think a little bit harder before it starts extending a ton of offers um, if the kids have to commit in December. Um, and obviously the, the, the big one was, you know, not only the ability to get them on campus before it gets, you know, brutally cold um, at SU, but also um, have official visits around April. Um, granted, I, I think with SU, that hasn't really been some folks made it a big deal. I didn't think that that was as big of a deal just because we always have kids come to the spring game. I think last year, something along the lines of like 25 to 30 kids were at the spring game. Um, 
and because of where we recruit like the florida kids might not be there but a lot of the others um, end up there for april so um yeah i i think all that's a good thing and i think samson coming in on the heels of that um, could potentially be a good thing since you know you and i have discussed numerous times how different positions might be more prone to uh flipping and and, and trying to upgrade their their lot a little bit more than others and i think Offensive linemen and centers are probably lower on the list than like a wide receiver or running back type or maybe a, a four-star safety. Yeah, I'd say you probably see it less with offensive linemen. Obviously, you know, if, if like Michigan came in and offered him, I'd be a little worried based on where he's from and, and the fact that they don't seem to be really flipping around right now. But like, the fact sort that he's of a, interested. Yeah. As is Notre um, Dame and Michigan State. Right, and like if one of them offers, maybe something happens. But the fact that he seems pretty dead set on uh, enrolling in January, like you usually the kids that like will put that out there. Like there's not a real reason to put that out there unless you're serious about it. So, um, you know, cross your fingers. But it does seem like he's pretty solid, at, at least as far as solid verbals in uh, April of the year before signing day uh, go. So, um, definitely good news. Uh, continued upward trend, I'd say, which you covered uh, for. Babers recruiting, which was, was one of the things people were wondering about when we switched over, since he had, you know, when he was at Baylor, they weren't recruiting the way they had been later in the Art Bryles uh, tenure, and obviously, you know, what he does at, at, you know, his last two stops doesn't tell you a lot about what he'll do at the at the, F, uh, the Power 5 level, but, um, you know, he's, he's, I think he's on like the, up, the upper echelon of what we've seen you know, but from Marone onwards, uh, and even probably, you know, and that's with a three-win year and some questions about, you know, he wasn't a huge name coming in. Um, so it, I think these are good returns, and you get a good season, and then they can really capitalize, hopefully. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. that kind of gets to the point of what I was saying uh, about, you know, the other day when we got yet another Juco kid, um kind of paves the way for what should be, um, you know, an experienced defense already, getting even more experienced. Um, we got eight transfers, six JUCOs, two grad transfers. Um, that's going to help set this team up really, really well um, to have much more depth than they had before. And maybe, you know, I, some people in the comments seem to be pretty dead set on these kids, uh, the transfers taking uh, the jobs of the, the pre-established players. But you know what, like, and you and I have said this before, there's – Nobody in this, nobody in this defensive backfield is is perfect by any means. I think everyone has some flaws here and there. But um, despite all that, um, I think that you saw a lot of progress from some kids at the safety position last year. I think that the kids that are left who didn't transfer out um, do have some talent. I, I think that if anything, having the extra bodies is not to to knock them down the depth chart uh, for for the kids that were already on campus, but just to kind of test them and challenge them and give them some. Some, some backup from a depth perspective. I mean, a lot of those kids were tossed in because of injuries and were really last resorts. I think now, you know, whether it's guys like uh, Davon Ellison, um, Christopher Frederick, those types of guys now feel like they, they're more supported um, and, and, and are better suited um, to jump in and not feel like, you know, it, it's them or, or, or nothing else back there, which, you know, can only be seen as a positive. Positions like defensive back and especially defensive line where Josh Allen is coming in, uh, our latest Juco. Um, I mean, those are spots where you can play a lot of guys, especially when you're playing uh, in the system that Syracuse is where the defense, you know, there are situations where the defense will get stuck on the field a lot, as we saw last year. Hopefully not as much as last year. Um, 
but the, you're going to get guys in and out. You're not going to want the same, you know, four defensive linemen and four D-backs or five D-backs in, in the game, you know, at all times. It doesn't make sense. Um, so depth is good. Um, and, you know, hopefully that plus the, like you said, the guys who were thrust into action last year, probably earlier than, than expected by the coaching staff. Um, hopefully this all comes together and we get uh, a sizable increase in the defense um, in terms of, you know, just what we talked about last week. It doesn't need to be this crazy, awesome unit. It just needs to be more effective than last year, which isn't saying much. But uh, just, you know, it needs to be able to get off the field once in a while, uh, force turnovers, and play, you know, middle of the pack defense would be great considering where the offense we think will go. So uh, more guys is always good. Uh, I think staying fresh uh, when you're playing at a pace like Syracuse does um even on the defense, it seems counterintuitive because, you know, you know, Syracuse doesn't dictate what speed the, offense, the opposing offense plays at. But, um, you know, if you have some quick three and outs on our side, you, you don't want uh, a bunch of the same defensive players running in and out and, and getting stuck on the field and, and getting worn out by, uh, like, a grind-out uh, offensive style, which, you know, with the ACC, you see all kinds of offenses. So um, I think it's always a good thing to have more players. And that, that seems obvious, but uh, I wouldn't worry too much about guys getting displaced. I think everyone who can play will play. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. If there's anyone that we can, you know, get a red shirt on, great. Uh, the more I, I think about, you know, how Nadarius Vega has been talked up and used, the more I think that he's probably not going to get a shirt this year. I mean, I'd love for him to, um, but at the same time, if he's showing himself to be, you know, eligible and, and, and available to be on too deep, uh, might as well toss him in. I, I think that, you know, this is going to be a team, like you said, that's going to be able to, to siphon a lot of players in and out. Uh, and, and rotate them. I think last year, because of all the injury issues, um, we weren't really able to do a ton of that. Um, and, and that, you know, was one of the many, many problematic things for this defense. So to be able to have that depth and, and ability is great. I think you're going to see that on the other side of the ball too, especially with the wide receivers um, on top of the guys that we have on campus continuing uh, with the program. You know, Dino Babers went out of his way to bring in more wide receivers. Um, and I wouldn't doubt it if a lot of those kids also see the field. Uh, rather than redshirt. So, uh, again, Babers is doing a really nice job um, kind of finding a middle ground between his system and the way he usually does things um, versus the way that, you know, Syracuse's uh, roster situation and, and injury situation and, and a lot of other factors kind of dictated to him. And I know I mentioned in that piece on Tuesday uh, is really encouraging to see what he's been able to do, and, and these JUCOs should be, you know, a large part of what will be a, a pretty competitive roster this year, win or lose. Uh, and, and Syracuse is always a program that's going to be in a position where getting JUCO guys um, could be a huge boon, just because of all the uh, recruiting limitations and, and challenges that are different uh, for SU versus a, a non, you know, a public school that's in a recruiting hotbed. So when you can go and, and find these kind of diamonds in the rough or these these guys who, you know, slipped through the radar and went to, to prep for a year or went to JUCO for a year to get their grades up, um, considering, you know, Syracuse doesn't really uh, have too much of an issue with getting guys in, which is good for the football program. And uh, that's, you know, it's a thing that you have to exploit if you're going to want to do well. Like, you obviously, you know, everyone would love to build a program out of, uh, 28 upstate New York kids every year, but that's like the most unfeasible recruiting pre- uh, plan ever. So, hi Buffalo. Um, hi, Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just all Buffalo and Rochester and Syracuse kids. <laughs> We'd really compete at a high level. Um, 
no, so if you can go out to California and go to Kansas and go to Florida and, and all the other spots where these JUCOs are, um, I have no problem, you know, loading up on them, especially early in a, early in a build like this where, you know, obviously Babers, uh, it seems like we kind of have the guy, we know the guys that we have now, like maybe we'll lose a, one or two after the spring. Um, but, you know, we kind of know the roster now and now just got to fill it out because obviously there was always, uh, there's always turnover when you switch a staff. Um, it seemed like there was probably a little less this time than we've seen other years, but uh, at the same time, like guys find out where they fit and where they don't. So um, bringing in JUCOs to, to put, fill the gaps, as long as you don't get yourself into a like a recruiting issue um, in terms of how the how the you know, classes fill out or how you know the weight of the classes, um, which it doesn't seem like we're really doing. Uh, I think it's a it's a fine plan. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think. You know, we have the two grad transfers. Obviously, they're off the books after this season. Um, then you look at the JUCO guys. Um, most of them have two years remaining. And a lot of the guys who transferred out um, this offseason had two years remaining. So that pretty much evens out from where we were before. Um, you did mention something that was, I found interesting, uh, that, you know, not a lot of kids left. Um, I agree to a point. I, I think, to be honest, I think a lot of kids left under Schaefer. Um, and, and that's not, you know, damning towards him necessarily, but... I know I talked last year, something like well over like 67, it was well over 67% of the class of, I want to say it was 2015 was already off campus by the time we got to like the end of the season. It was 2014, 2015, I forgot which one it was, was already off campus by like midway through last season. Um, I think it was just, it wasn't all academic risk or anything like that. It was just a lot of kids that might not have been a fit for the program or the program might not have been a fit for them. Um, I, I think a lot of the guys that, that left, there's, there's not a ton who were going to be seeing like a, a big, big um, boost in their own minutes. Um, I think Corey Winfield and, and uh, Chauncey Sism would be the, the two big names on there as guys who, who would have seen uh, major minutes and, and, and probably would have started at their respective positions this year. Or it, I, I would assume, well, I definitely assume Winfield would have. Sism, maybe. Um, but nonetheless, um, guys who, yeah, they, they, they are probably better off um, heading elsewhere and, and finding ways to use their talents. I mean, and for every guy that ended up going to a, to a 1AA or D2 school and, and, you know, you got to kind of hammer home the narrative of, well, Schaefer was pushing these kids higher than they needed to be. At the same time, there were plenty of kids that went to uh, – to some pretty big D1 schools. Austin Wilson went to Coastal Carolina. Um, Kendall Moore actually ended up surprisingly, I think most surprisingly of all, something that kind of went under the radar, um, headed to Texas. Uh, I know a couple others. I know Winfield went to West Virginia. Sism hasn't landed yet, um, but I know he was visiting some Big Ten schools. So, I mean, there were plenty of guys on that roster, and plenty of guys still on the roster who were, you know, high-level D1 caliber players who, who would start for... Uh, a decent amount of non-blue blood programs. I've seen things, see how those things shake out. Um, I actually tried to, I don't think I even realized, uh, who, who do you say ended up at Texas? I, I think I totally missed Kendall that. Kendall Moore. Kendall Moore. Of, of really? All players. <laughs> yeah. I definitely do not remember that. Yeah, I, I wrote it up like a couple weeks ago, but it was like something like, he shared it on Instagram at like 8 o'clock at night, and like Bailey huh. happened to retweet it. And then I threw it up as like a 3.30 or well, for Pacific time. So I threw it up as like a 6 a.m., 7 a.m. post, and then like nobody cared about it. 
So I think like everyone just, I think because no one was thinking that more of all players, a guy who just like didn't really get a ton of time with the ball in his hand, a tight end, um, didn't really, wasn't really able to stay healthy. I don't think anyone really considered he would be an FBS guy next year, never mind, you know, an FBS guy at Texas when they have like five tight ends on the roster already. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I, I wonder, because uh, if I remember correctly, he was a guy they were considering, they tried to figure out if he was going to play tight end or play offensive tackle, right? He. Uh... Yeah, I think he was in like a guard center mode, because he came in and he had played both. Um, he, I mean, his value came from being such a great blocker um, as a tight end, but he just he was never able to gain the weight um, needed to be, you know, an offensive, ta- uh, an offensive lineman um, that, that could really make an impact. Um, so they kind of just kept him the tight end by the end. Yeah, I'm lucky now. I also forgot it was him that dropped the uh, Riley Dixon um, touchdown against Villanova. I, I, I could never forget that. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, so that that that's a super interesting one. I would not have guessed that. I knew Winfield was at West Virginia. I knew Fredericks ended up at UMass. Um, but yeah, just uh, super, uh, just very peculiar. But good for him. Yeah. Perfect for him. Uh, he also deleted that Instagram post for some reason. Yeah, I, uh, that is odd. No, no, he didn't. It just didn't show up. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, is he not going to Texas? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, because uh, he's a Chicago guy, so I figured if anywhere, you know, he would be, he'd be another, like, Eastern Illinois, Western Illinois type guy um, who kind of wrapped up his career there. I mean, I didn't think, like, Northwestern was really going to be an option or, or anything like that, but yeah, I mean, Good for him at Texas. Um, I am surprised that Sism hasn't landed anywhere. I know that's not for lack of talent um, on his end, and there's plenty of teams that could use an extra corner, or well, sorry, safety or two. Um, so we'll see on him. We've pretty much heard about uh, every other roster defector at this point. So uh, we shall see. Yeah, you think like Buffalo would take a shot on Stism nearby, you know, from nearby. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, like I, I feel that. I mean, maybe it's, it's not like he was picking like big, big den programs. I mean, I saw he like visited Purdue. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm pretty sure Purdue has room for Chauncey, based on how, what what I've seen of Purdue in, in in recent years. I think Purdue has room for us. <laughs> now, Purdue, <laughs> Purdue, you have room for us on every schedule going forward, and we have room for you, don't worry. Yeah, that's one of the few, like, I know that's a Power 5 program, and maybe uh, Brown turns it around because he's, I, I really like that hire, but I feel like we should have, like, Purdue should have been worked out uh, over the last, like, eight years. Purdue, Indiana, and Kansas should have been worked out a very long time ago. Um, I think, you know, I say those three programs have ceilings, but... Purdue's won the Big Ten in the last 20 years. Kansas has won the Orange Bowl in the last 10. Um, Indiana's really the, the outlier there and another program that we should absolutely be seeing on a regular basis. I'd even schedule I mean, if it wasn't for the Big Ten ACC Challenge, I would schedule them in basketball every year. Um, it just doesn't pay to, to schedule an additional uh, Big Ten opponent. I'd rather have a little bit more variance. Um, one thing that I won't look up now to, to avoid the, uh, the boring radio that we, uh, we managed to subject folks to for at least a minute or two every week um, is I wanted to see what the production for uh, Houston's tight ends have been for the last couple of years and Ohio State's tight ends from when Herman was offensive coordinator there to see if that could have, 
could be give some hints as to how more would be used uh, with the Longhorns offense. Ohio State's definitely produced pretty well. They've had like two or three guys. They pretty much all their starting tight ends end up in the NFL. Hmm. Um, well, they're not Ohio really State. <laughs> What's up? I'm saying it's also Ohio State. Yeah, it's also Ohio State, but like they're not always huge like pass catchers, but they always uh, seem to have some talent. And, and obviously, they're it's Ohio State, so they're you know bringing in the top five class every year. Um, Houston, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd have to look that up. Is that a that seems like semi interesting as as a hint of what's to come for them? But uh, yeah, that's uh, we don't talk about Texas football here much when we uh, we drift into Big Twelve country for for an episode this uh, off season. We'll We'll probably have some things to say about Texas. I know I uh, on the Kendall Moore post I kind of told folks half jokingly to circle the calendars for uh, the Texas West Virginia matchup that I think is in Morgantown in maybe October for for a matchup of two former Syracuse players. Yeah, maybe they would. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how Winfield would do matched up on Moore. It's a pretty big uh, size mismatch. That's an awful size mismatch. Um, probably not what you want if you're Dana Holderson. No. Dana's a... He is an interesting team ahead of him this year. I, uh, last couple of years, really. Last couple like, of years. But this year in particular, I feel like this is like... He's done really well, but the, but this feels like make or break for him, even even though it shouldn't be. They've done well, but they, they definitely seem like they have a, a bit of a ceiling, um, which makes sense considering it's West Virginia. Um, and again, they... Based in Texas. In a, they're in a what, Texas league. Like they have some history. They 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 probably haven't hit their ceiling. Like I bet they could probably win the Big Twelve in an, an, an off year or two. But um, you know, recruiting for them is always tough. Uh, at least you know they're never enough. It's hard for them to bring in like top twenty classes. They they do pretty well in Florida. They their class they this year sucked. Their twenty seventeen class. I haven't looked at it. It was I want to say fifty ninth, sixtieth. Like for us, that would be like a. I wish we had done better, but you could probably find some value in the guys. Class, for them, like if you're coming off like a nine-win campaign and you've won at least like eight games for each of the last, I don't know how many years at this point, like if you if you can't pull down, like I don't even think they had a single four-star. Like if you, if you can't pull down a class better than that in, in the current state of things in the Big 12, like considering that Baylor's not really a factor for those top kids, and if, if you're somebody looking at offers in Baylor and West Virginia, your top two, you're probably picking West Virginia. Um, I think Texas's recruiting wasn't great this cycle, but that's understandable with the coaching change. I think Herman's just getting going there. Um, he's also got some changes to make just personnel-wise, so next year will probably be a big class for the Longhorns. And This year's was a smaller one, too. Um, the, the, the key factors there, you know, Oklahoma State's never going to be a top 20 recruiter. They're always a, a top... 30 to 40 um, and then Oklahoma's managed to step up their game I think that's you know the Sooners are quickly kind of separating themselves from the rest of the league As you, and I know we've talked about this you look around that that conference and, and there's really if Texas doesn't step up there's no one to really get in Oklahoma's way and Oklahoma's also taking kind of an extra initiative of late to, to start progressing from top 25 classes that, that excelled against Big 12 competition to top 10 to 15 classes that are excelling nationally well, yeah, I mean, that's the problem for West Virginia is that you're playing in this league that's nowhere re- – like, people, I, I feel like people don't um, don't appreciate how far away West Virginia is from everyone else in that league. Like, because West Virginia doesn't 
Washington is one of those states where people probably forget where it is. Like it's it's very much like it's borderline northeast. Um, it's like in a very weird spot for what you think of as West Virginia. Um, but they they don't have natural backyard recruiting ground anyway. They have like kind of the Pennsylvania, but they have obviously have to battle out with Penn State and Pitt for any of those kids. Like they could probably go into Ohio a little bit, but Ohio State owns there, and and they have, you know a lot of other people are fishing for Ohio kids. Florida is like their big one, but obviously they're never going to be the prominent team in Florida. Um, and then when you're even going to Florida or Ohio or Pennsylvania, you're asking those kids to come play in West Virginia and then go play your road games all in Texas and Oklahoma. Like it's a very hard sell. Um, it's not like like Syracuse obviously is nowhere near Florida, but we can sell you a game in Florida almost every year. Um, like we and, and same thing with Carolina kids, etc. Like West Virginia. You're, you have no kids. I mean, how many West Virginia kids do they bring in every year? I bet it's not more than two or three. And then you're, you know, asking them to go away from home to play and then away from home for the road games, too. They just, it's a very, it's tough, uh, it's tough to really make that work. Um, and that's why I think, a lot, you know, they, they probably would be way better off in the ACC. Honestly, I don't think that will happen now based on how everything shook out. And they're definitely better off than they would have been in the Big East and seeing how the dice rolled. But it def- I think it, it puts a, a real uh, cap on how good they can be on a year-to-year basis versus when they were in the Big East. Um, obviously, they had Florida schools there the whole time, and they were able to better take advantage of, of uh, that recruiting. Um, they've always been a factor in Miami. Now, uh, that the effects of that are all really lessened because you can't tell those kids that are going to play in front of their family every year. Right. I mean, yeah, now, now that we're through like a full cycle of kids who've been in the Big 12... Um, West Virginia's always been this, you know, kind of, I mean, since the beginning as a program, this, you know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride type. They never won a national championship, um, which feel free to remind any Mountaineers fans you know of that. Um, they are, it's, it, it is largely because of geography. It's because geography, it's because of not only geography, but the state. Like, it's one thing if you're in a remote state that has, a remote city that, that has some money and, and some some resources, but, but Morgantown just doesn't really have that. Um, looking at the, the 2017 class now, um, decent amount of kids in West Virginia actually from Morgantown. Um, but yeah, these, these are all three stars. Their top player was, uh, looking like he was around mid four hundreds. Um, and Derek Pitts, he was a West Virginia guy. Um, got a Mississippi Juco, some kids from New Orleans, um, a couple Juco's from another, another couple Juco's from Mississippi, got three Juco's from California. No, I got five Mississippi Juco's, three California Juco kids. Um, got one Texas, a couple Pennsylvania, a couple Florida, um, and a couple Kansas, surprisingly. But yeah, this is, uh. It's not a recipe for success. It's not like Syracuse has some foolproof recipe and we're sitting here just like, you know, lobbing bombs at our former rival just because. This is this is more just an open and honest evaluation of, like, you know, West Virginia's ceiling is probably, you know, nine wins with the bowl game every year based on the talent. And based on, too, you look at TCU uh, and, and their kind of arrival and immediate rise into the upper echelons of the, uh, the conference – don't really spell good things. I mean, look at what, look at how close TCU's been to a national championship shot since they arrived, and how close or, or lack thereof uh, West Virginia has been. Um, that's only going to continue. 
um, for them. I mean, the one benefit for West Virginia is that the bottom is always eighth place, um, and that's because you, you have likely, likely teams in Kansas and, and Iowa State padding the bottom of that league um, for a long time. I think Texas Tech also struggles um, because of their location within Texas, and then Baylor is, is probably going to get hit hard at some point. Um, Matt Rule is a, a good hire for them to get through that, but um, that's more because of what he's done and the type of guy he is, not because of his abilities in Texas, which, to be honest, I, I, are going to be his biggest uphill battle uh, other than the coming NCAA hammer. Yeah, I mean, and, and all those schools, like, again, they have way more going for them in terms of their place within the conference. Uh, and obviously TCU has, like, a great coach. And Baylor, um, if they get through the scandal, which is a whole – like, had that never happened, they would be on a really nice upward trajectory. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, like, I think at the end of the day, you ask West Virginia where if they'd rather be back, you know, and, and take the, the shot of beating out Louisville for an ACC invite or Pitt for an ACC invite, I think they'd probably just sign for the for the Big 12 and, and hope it gets better. But I do think their ceiling is probably, like, Oklahoma state light. Um, and Oklahoma State's, you know, you have Mike Gundy who's frustrated there based on that because he doesn't think they have enough resources, they're committing enough resources to recruiting. Um, and they're not nearly, you know, they're right in the, the heart of the conference. So it's, uh, I, I'd, be, I'd be interested to, to see what West Virginia fans um, think about that. Uh, but then I don't really feel like looking at what West Virginia fans are writing on the internet because it's probably all conspiracy <laughs> theories. And everything's, uh, you know, hunky dory. So. Getting the uh, getting the conference realignment scoop. Shout out to the dude. <laughs> that guy. Um, the Alex Jones of college football. <laughs> oh man, I, I'm gonna avoid the uh, the the Alex Jones impression. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling about cucks and whatnot. But anyway, no more politics on this podcast. We're all keeping our shirts on here. We are. Um, <laughs> speaking of losing our shirts, Dan, what have you been drinking for the last week? Uh, so as I said last week, I was going to single cut the day after we recorded and I did and I drank that. Uh, so I had uh, a lot of new stuff. They always have like two or three new things when I go there, which is nice. They, they really, they really put out new stuff pretty frequently. I had their shine on Brett lemon ale, uh, which was a lemon sour, but like not like lemon sour. I feel like could end up just being way too much it was super nice like very 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 well balanced it was actually probably one of the less sour uh sour that had in a while um but very refreshing i could see that one being awesome for the summer uh i had their soft spoken magic spells which is always delicious um i had uh tell shaking and boxcar joe ddh uh double ipa uh which was interesting it was it was pretty uh pretty strong hoppy um Probably the most interesting one I had from them was another new one, uh, Strange Shadows from the Flames, which was a dessert uh, stout, and it was... Oh, yeah, I had that in Syracuse. Yeah. Um, too sweet. It was... I, I didn't think it was actually too sweet. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if it was better uh, there. I'm usually pretty uh, sensitive to stouts that are oversweet, but I thought this one actually was pretty good, so I don't know if they've... It was just a, a different batch than what you had or whatnot, but I was impressed by it. Um, and then I had... Uh, some Honey Spot Road IPA over the weekend in Connecticut from Two Roads. Um, I had uh, some B.O. Black Goza uh, with cranberry and orange from Transmitter, which was really good. Um, super interesting. I didn't really think the cranberry or orange flavors were, like, 
overly pronounced, but it was a really solid Goza. Um, and I had, oh, another single cut, uh, Does Anyone Remember Laughter, which is one of their, their signature IPAs. So, a lot of single cut, a little bit of other stuff, uh, pretty good overall. Good deal, good deal. Um, some things that I had. Uh, I usually talk about Allagash Hop Table Beer because I drink it quite a bit. Had that again. Next, grabs a four-pack over a total wine. Um, had some uh, Monkish Mas Juto. It's their uh, apricot saison, except they put even more apricots in it, which is nice. Uh, jumped over to Hop Saint, which is right over by my house. Uh, local brewery. They've been around for a couple of years. Um, it's nice to actually go to a spot around here brewing West Coast IPAs. Um, a variety of IPA that I have sorely missed as everyone gets on the uh, haze train. Um, but their uh, tap into the power uh, that I had was extremely good. And also had a coconut victory at sea from Ballast Point. So that was it. It was a lighter drinking weekend on my end, but, uh, but a good one nonetheless. Yeah, we're getting into peak spring and summer drinking season, so excited for that. I am as well. I have, uh, I know, not this weekend, but the weekend after, I'm going, just doing a little beer tour around here with uh, some friends of mine, and then the weekend after that is the uh, brewery ninth anniversary party down in Anaheim, which I am very, very excited for, since uh, every brewery that shows up to that pretty much uh, brings the big guns, pulls out everything they've got. Um, so uh, last year I had quite a few uh, five-star beers, and I, uh, I fully intend on doing the same this year. No luchadors, though. No, no luchadors, which automatically means far less entertaining. <laughs> you can't always have everything, though, so I guess it worked out. <laughs> I am a Syracuse fan, after all, so I'm well aware of that fact, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from the, uh, this episode of... Uh, Hot Nears Talk, where we talk about the Nears for upwards of 30 minutes a day. Um, we move on to um, Syracuse's spring practice. Now, uh, Dan, this should probably be fairly uneventful. Um, Babers keeps everything pretty close to the vest. We're not going to see many new folds or wrinkles um, in this offense. But are there any players in particular that you are looking forward to seeing um, on ACC Network Extra come uh saturday morning uh oh god saturday i will i'll be at work so i will be able to watch this um yeah um i guess i don't know like it's not like we have like these brand new toys to break in or anything like same i guess (laughs) what same old toys same old toys just you know uh hopefully running at more maximum efficiency um i think coming off the last image uh if Jamal Trustis wants to tear, catch like 15 touchdowns this year, I'm, I'm down with that. Do it. Um, I'm not sure that's uh, going to happen, but I am excited that they're actually getting him involved. Um, and I feel like he's always the answer. Like we, <laughs> I know what Phillips is. I know what Steve Ishmael is. I don't know what Jamal Trustis is, and he's very big and can allegedly catch passes. So I want to see it after three years. Um, no, I mean, uh, just overall, I, I, the running backs, I would love to see – um, a an improvement in the running game, um, and an improvement means like getting up to like slightly subpar would be fine. And four yards to carry. Yes, yes, four yards to carry would be wonderful. Um, so I think that uh, offensively, because like I, I feel pretty good about Dungey if he's healthy. 
I feel good about Ishmael and Irv. Um, offensive line, I thought, made progress last year, and, and if they stay healthy, um, and a lot of those guys got taught, they were, you know, among the positions where we had guys tossed into uh, early action. So I think we're actually in decent shape there. Um, so the running backs and seeing what progression the running game has made uh, probably is the, the, the number one thing for me. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, obviously the, the team's helped a little bit by the fact that the first team goes up against the second team. Um, otherwise, I, I would love to glean something from this offensive line. Um, I, I think that that is an underrated trouble spot, um, but also one with a lot of promise. Um, obviously, you know, uh, fully from top to bottom on the depth chart, there, there's guys with, with experience, but it's just a question of whether that experience was valuable or not. Um, I'd love to see what the line does against the second team defense, which is going to be who will be anxious to uh, to kind of make an impact in their limited time um, on the field. I, I think that, you know, you hit it right with the running backs. I think that's, that's an area that I'd love to see, you know, a, a couple nice breaks down the field. Um, and, then, and then seeing Custis and Pierce in action and, and seeing how much we maybe see some two tight end sets, um, stuff like that. Uh, could be very interesting since, you know, both have kind of tight end type builds, but with wide receiver speed, uh, that could present some interesting mismatches in the red zone, as you and I have harped on for years. Um, and I'd love to see at least a, a minor preview of that before we get to uh, to live games uh, in the fall. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely am there with you. Um it does feel like there's like a little less uh, juice for the spring game, just which is, is silly. But um, it doesn't. We don't have like these huge freshmen coming in. We don't have like we kind of know. For, for interestingly, like the the team almost seems like uh, experienced or at least familiar, um, despite only being the second year in the system. Um, I think some of it's that we we know that Babers is going to give us a lot to chew on. But uh, overall, it, it does seem like we have a little less like built-in excitement now hope you know maybe they come out and run like 100 plays in it and it's just a lot of fun which would be good too but uh i feel like the storylines aren't quite as uh, obvious as they they often are in the spring well there's just so much returning talent i mean you know bill Connolly's returning start uh, returning experience and returning production metrics have us pretty high up there um i know on offense uh we're really just dinged by the fact that esteem and uh Etatawo gone everybody else is back um and then on defense we bring back I think one of the top five most experienced defenses in the country, despite losing a couple of folks to transfers. Um, and then we bring in a, a bunch of guys who, who have collegiate experience um, in their own right. So I think, you know, for me, more than the offense, which is pretty much a known entity at this point, um, I'd like to see how the defense looks um, in coverage in particular, but also being able to get after the passer a little bit. I mean, they're not going to be going at 100, 100%. Um, they're obviously not going to be tackling um, – you know, the, the quarterbacks both, I'd say better not, yeah, better not right? <laughs> <laughs> that would be such a Syracuse thing to happen. Um, I mean, Dungy will be back there for a lot of the time. And then Mahoney and uh, Culpepper will be splitting duties from there. Um, I, I think if Tommy DeVito was, was, was in camp this spring, I think we'd, we'd get a much different turnout, but you know what you're getting from those guys. And again, what you're getting from most of the offense, uh, if the defense can play well in coverage or at least look more confident than they did last year. I think that'll be key. Um, oh, I wasn't at the spring game last year. I know from talking to Ari, um, who was in attendance and wrote up the, the recap last year, um, he had said that the uh, 
the defensive backs last year definitely looked a little bit lost, a little bit like they were off on an island. Um, was not an ideal situation for them. So it, uh, it was definitely it would definitely be nice to see a little more confidence and progress um, on that front uh, from the defenders. And again, keep in mind that the uh, the first team defense will be up against the second team offense. But I think at this point, because of how many injuries we've had, there there isn't as much. At a bunch of positions, there isn't as much separation between a first and second team offenses or defense as maybe you'd like. Yeah. Um, hopefully, defensively, like we'll definitely see a step forward. Uh, pass rush is always tricky to gauge because, like, obviously when you have a guy like Dungey back there, it's, it's a little different when he's not going to get hit. Um, but, obviously, progression uh, all across the defense will be nice. Um, however, however easy that is to judge in the spring game is, up to, be, is, is to be determined. But, um, if our defense is, is hanging with the offense at all, I, I'd be, you know, pretty happy as long as it doesn't mean the offense uh, sucks, which I don't expect it will be the case anyway. So um, it, I think it'll be a little hard to, like, glean too, too much from it, but uh, hopefully we, we see some, some decent signs there, especially from, from the guys that we have returning who will hopefully give us a nice boost this year on the defensive side. Yeah, I'd agree. And you know what? Like, it'll also be a little bit of a stress test for everybody. Um the format for the game is four quarters of, of 12 minutes apiece. Um, running clock, the only time the clock slows down a bit is at the last two minutes of the first and second halves. So for the most part, like, you know, this is Babers giving fans what they want, but more importantly, he, he's really putting, he's really stress testing this group um, to see, you know, can you on both sides of the football um, perform at the speed needed and the speed that really you wouldn't be needed to um, at any point during the regular season. Um, I know in both of the uh, scrimmages they've held during the uh, spring practice sessions, um, they had the first one was 105 plays in 90 minutes. The second one they didn't disclose play. Uh, they didn't disclose time. They said plays, they ran about 100. Um, so I, I think if we see something with shorter pe- uh, quarters, if we see something in the 80 to 90 range on the offensive side, I think... Um, I think fans will definitely get their their lack of money's worth since it is a free event. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Baber system, like at least it'll be more entertaining than the normal spring game that we've grown accustomed to because the spring game is always not always. I'd say the spring game is usually pretty garbage. Like it's fun to have football back for a, mi- a minute, but like I, I, I never get too worked up about like spring game attendance and, and whatnot. And I know that's not the right answer considering you know what a recruiting week can be, but. Unless you're, like, one of the top, like, ten programs, your, your attendance isn't going to be great, and I, I totally do not blame people for not going. Um, but I will say that if I was in Syracuse, I'd be going uh, to support the program, and you should do that, uh, despite what I just said. And also, <laughs> if you're going to go to a spring game, make it a Dino Baber spring game where they're going to run a million plays. Like, yeah, and if you have kids, go to the youth clinic beforehand, because there's a bunch of uh, former and current NFL players that'll be there to provide free instruction for kids between 7 and 12, which is pretty cool, in my opinion. You get to meet Jay Bromley, you get to meet uh, Shamarco, a bunch of other guys. That should be fun for folks. I know that was a tradition that started last year uh, and spearheaded by Dante Davis. That's good stuff. Good for them. And also, probably inflatable jumpies? I don't know. I assume. I have not seen in a single <laughs> release about inflatable jumpies, and it is... Knowing Babers, I feel like he would think inflatable jumpies are a, an unnecessary expense of um, energy that could be used more efficiently elsewhere. Totally right. 
I think they're gone. Should... They're 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 out to California along with all the soda and <laughs> and Dr. Gross, who who if I live closer to to downtown LA, I would I would actively search out, but will not for for our purposes here. I feel like there's searching searching for <laughs> Daryl Gross. He and I he and I never met, and I feel like there's a restraining order on me nonetheless. I always had very very pleasant rea- interactions with Dr. Gross, so that's uh, including. Including at halftime of the USC game at MetLife Stadium, where we were walking through the uh, we were walking through the stadium. Uh, I think there was a storm that delayed the game, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah. And uh, we ran into Dr. Gross in the concourse. Uh, Dr. Gross said that he was just in the locker room. I, I don't believe this for a second. I don't actually <laughs> think he was there. Uh, he he was very fired up there because it was a close game, and. We go, we, we, we talked to him for a second, and he was really fired up. And then he goes, yeah, I just talked to Coach Marone and the players, and Marone told me we got him on their fucking heels. And I was like, yeah, Dr. Gross, you're very excited about a name we're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, I, I think that that is the name of uh, Dr. Gross's pending biography. Very, very... Was, is that referring to like all the Syracuse locals? <laughs> no, I, I, think that's just, I think that's just him for, for that's, that's his life. Excited about a game we're certainly going to lose. The Dr. Gross oh, story. I think that we got him on their fucking heels. Oh, no, that would be... <laughs> that, that would either be a book about uh, Syracuse fans who think we're still in the 80s or or potentially a uh, a female manufacturer of a shoe empire. That would be a, uh, a, a great title for that book. Fair enough. I will always remember that because he was like... I, I, I don't know that he absolutely went down to the locker room. I don't know that Marone would have like let him go down there. He almost certainly did not. From what I've heard of Marone uh, having Gross around during games. But I like to... I, I appreciated in that moment Dr. Gross's... Like, you can't... You can say a lot about Dr. Gross. He was definitely passionate about the program. I don't know that it was always focused in the right places. But the, there was a lot of... There was very unadulterated uh, excitement about the possibility of beating USC that day. And I will, I will always appreciate that about him. Uh, for all the other ups and downs of his tenure as AD at Syracuse, I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, he also let me into the recruiting, the uh, signing day event one time. With I didn't have a credential or anything, I had no reason to be there. I was just like, "Hey, gross!" And I come in, and he was like, "Yeah." And then after Chris Ded- Dedney accosted me once, I was like, "No, Doctor Gross said I could be here." He's like, "Oh, okay." Hmm. Easy enough. Uh, so one more thing I want to talk about while we're here: um, NCAA released championship sites. For 2019 through 2022, we're not going to talk about the North Carolina stuff, but we are going to talk about the strange, strange decision to let uh, the venue currently known as Paul's Arf host um, the NCAA Men's Lacrosse Championship um, in 2021 and 2022, bringing the title game and Final Four to East Hartford, Connecticut, for reasons unknown. Uh, this one's pretty baffling. Um, as a as a the resident Connecticuter here, uh, East Hartford is not near anything. Um, it's kind of near, near Hartford. Hartford. <laughs> it's it's sort of near Hartford. It's not really near UConn at all. It's like a good thirty minutes away. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the one thing I always tell people about, about Rensselaer Field slash Pazarf, um, you can tailgate there. Uh, the tailgating scene is actually decent because it's on farmland. Basically, um, you're not going to be able to do anything after the game except for like leave. Um, but it, it, this is so dumb for lacrosse. Uh, 
it's just it, like it's one of those things where I think they clearly wanted to like move down the stadium size, which makes a lot of sense based on how the the attendance has gone, and and I assume that they'll actually fill it um, because attendance has been more in the forties recently than they was like back in the mid two thousands when it was really packing in people. Um, but there have to be better venues than Rensselaer Field for this because it's not near. Like, it's not close to any real metropolitan, like, areas that feature a lot of lacrosse. Like, upstate Connecticut has some lacrosse, but it's not, you know, it's not the Philadelphia area. It's not Long Island. It's not anything like that. It's not near, I mean, it's, like, just close enough where they'll probably get people there, but it's a pain in in the ass to get there from pretty much everywhere. So, I don't know why they couldn't find a place uh, closer to, like, New York City, Philadelphia, Baltimore. I get not wanting to do the NFL stadiums, but... Like, there are MLS stadiums. Uh, there are other venues that are more, uh, you know, suitable for the size they're looking for that are in better spots than Remster Field. Yeah, I think, and I, I'm with you on the uh, the MLS stadiums thing. I, I know the pushback I was getting in the comments was just the fact that um, they wanted something that would seat more than 30, and admittedly the game's been getting at least 31 um, individually for at least the last five or six years now, um, and, I, and even more than that beforehand. Um, I also think it just depends on who's in the games, though, to be honest. Like Syracuse and, and Hopkins and a lot of others will travel, but you know Denver just physically can't um, to the extent of a lot of other programs. And that's why like I told people, why not, why not have it in Denver? Um, you, know, you can use either the Colorado Rapids Stadium. You can use Mile High if you really wanted to. Um, I mean, Denver lacrosse doesn't necessarily draw um, huge, huge crowds. They also have a smaller stadium, but um, Denver Outlaws and whatever the hell, I think it's Colorado Mammoths or, or something similar in the National Lacrosse League, um, they draw ten to 12,000, no problem. I mean, and, and that's just local fans, never mind traveling fans, a lot of whom have probably never been to Denver or Colorado. I mean, I know I never went to Colorado growing up as an East Coast kid, and I've been there since, but yeah, I... I I would think somewhere like Denver would make a lot of sense um, if they want to grow the game and maybe, you know, provide a little bit more of a bridge for that part of the country to get in on this. I know Utah, I believe they still haven't really confirmed things. They just don't want to or something. But uh, Utah seems like they're going to start a program and, and that should open the floodgates hopefully for a uh, for some sort of Pac-12 lacrosse set up in the next few years um but yeah if you look at the mls stadiums um stubhub center out here seats twenty-seven thousand, but carson is nowhere near downtown um long beach is closer to carson than uh, downtown la is to carson also there is no lacrosse team any closer than colorado that presents a problem um I maybe, maybe you send it to Minnesota, but then again, the Gophers said that they weren't going to start a program. I don't think you want to send them to Yankee Stadium because there's no way the Yankees give up those gate receipts around Memorial Day. You can't do Rebel Arena because it's in Jersey and right. there's damn there now, which I thought of after the fact. Um, you could do Chester, but but then you're in. But then you have the same problem. You do well, it's a similar-ish problem. You're. You're still outside a terrible city, but at least this one's bigger. And I think Chester's not a great area. I think they'd rather just keep it at the link. 
And honestly, I've been to a bunch of those at the link. The link's fine. Like, I know if you're that worried about um, not filling, like, I think you either have to suck it up and deal with not filling the uh, NFL stadium or find an alternative. But I don't think the moving it to middle of nowhere Connecticut is the answer. I think, like, they'll probably get decent attendance there, but it, it's just, like, I don't know that there's going to be any fan base that's thrilled to go there. Like, unless UMass makes a run or something, and even they're not that close. Like, there's no one that close that plays lacrosse. The host, the host team is Fairfield. Fairfield's a solid hour from there. Yeah, doesn't really, doesn't really make much sense. And, and I mean, like you said, there's also a lot of other. Like you're not going to have it at a lacrosse specific venue. Most of the MLS venues uh, eliminate themselves. So then you're left with the same few NFL stadiums, or like you could do college football stadiums. But then the issue with the college football stadiums is that, um, you know, not only do you have the fact that event staff is probably off for the summer. Um, and a lot of the, the campus kind of um, personnel is out for the summer. Uh, but then if you're going to have it at, at any sort of college campus that makes sense, there's probably an NFL stadium nearby um, that, that has the amenities and a little bit closer to city centers um, and transportation uh, for the sake of fans. I don't know. I, I think they might be better off next year sending it to – I mean, they're not going to do it. But the next time they, they vote on this, something like sending it to Big Ten country. Um, so whether that's Ohio or – I mean, you can even do Wisconsin, to be honest. I mean, have Marquette, like, sort of host and do it at Camp Randall. Like, or, or do it at Lambeau. Like, like stuff like that, I think, would at least – would at least make it more of a destination, a little more interesting. I think if you're a longtime lacrosse fan, you're in your 40s, your 50s, you have kids – you know, once you, once you do once you do Gillette, you do Gillette. Once you do the Link, you do the Link. Um, the same thing with the Meadowlands. Like, there's just there's little appeal for you to make a repeat trip, even if your team's in it every year. Yeah, I I, I buy that for sure, and I know they've been doing some of the uh, lesser rounds. I think they've done them in Denver a couple times. I I believe they've done it in Ohio. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I'm almost positive. I know they usually just end up leaning on Hempstead a lot. Yeah, they are, they're in Hempstead all the time, which is, you know, fine, I guess. But Local um, fans, you, you got a really good... I mean, I, I used to work for the Lizards in college as an intern. And, uh, I mean, they easily drew, you know, 7,000-plus a game, even on, like, a random, like, Tuesday, Wednesday night during the summer. Yeah, and you'll get, like, assuming you have some nearby school, like, Syracuse is there um, pretty much every time they're uh, high seed, which is most years, so... Um, I mean, you're always going to have the SU, Long Island, New York City connection. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would have less of an issue. I would totally get going to Denver before I get going to East Hartford. Like, one, like you're not gaining anything with East Hartford. I just don't, and it's, it's not even like a shitty on UConn thing. It's just like this one thing doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're already, like, the Northeast is not a growth area. Like, the Northeast is where you are, and you're just going to a lesser popular part of the Northeast uh, that isn't a lacrosse hotbed, and you're not growing the game, but you're also not just doing, you know, fan service either. So I just don't really get this one location. Um, but, it, you know, I'll probably end up going this year. He's been to Final Four, so I guess that's fine. Yeah, and, and you make a good point there. Let's let, let's not let's not pretend that we're we're sitting here shitting on you. We're shitting on you as a result of of a terrible decision. You know, th- th- that just happens to be an, an effect of of panning the East Hartford selection. It's not as if we, we went into this saying, because it's in UConn, we hate it, and, oh, East Hartford is also terrible. It's the other way around. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if UConn was in, like, New Haven, it would be less ridiculous. Or if UConn but, even had ah. a team. Yeah. Or if UConn had a team. <laughs> let, 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 let's start at the most important piece of information here. The, the Huskies, right. defying logic, really, because several other Connecticut programs have a team. Um, the Huskies, doesn't Hartford have a team? Uh, yeah, Hartford does have a team. So why the hell aren't they hosting this? I don't know. I don't know why Sarah Field. <laughs> um, yeah, see, all right, the Yale Bowl holds, like, I actually didn't realize the Yale Bowl is as big as it is. The Yale Bowl holds 64,000 people. Do it in the Yale Bowl. That's way better than Bachelor Field. But amenities. I guess. That's the problem. Like, it's like you so can't Rensselaer bring... doesn't have that many amenities. Rensselaer is pretty bare bones. But you can't bring like your, you know, your snot-nosed kids to, to the Yale Bowl and then they just sit there bitching the whole time about the fact they can't play Angry Birds. Mm. I mean, can they play Angry Birds much better in East Hartford? I don't know Basically, if they have cell service out there. Probably not. But, <laughs> but I'm sure that was something that the great minds at the NCAA considered for, for, for a time period spanning no less than five but no more than eight minutes before making this decision. Yeah. And again, like, I get it. I get the concerns, and I get, like, it, they're clearly trying to figure out the attendance thing. Um, obviously, the spike in the mid-2000s then made it, like, kind of a, you know, it, it made it a whole issue for a long time, since considering how far they, they set these things out. But it just, this is a very, this is just a bizarre choice. And it just happens to be the football field uh, that is 40 minutes away from a school that we're a rival of. It, it's... Not an intentional uh, dig at UConn, but we'll we'll treat it. We'll we'll take it where we can get it. Like yeah, if you're gonna softball these to us, like we're gonna take them. Also, like have they ever had it at Syracuse, or is it just they won't because it's? I think back in the day, I think in like the eighties they did. I'll look it up. Yeah, I'm. This podcast is almost over, so for those who want to turn it off, feel free. We <laughs> we. <laughs> We we are just gonna search quick and see if it was ever at Syracuse because we are googling stuff. I'm pretty sure in the like some of the first uh, lacrosse national championships were in Syracuse. Um, okay, let's. I got I got Hempstead is the first one. They had a college park for a ton of years in a row. They had up to Scataway for a couple of years. No, it's never been there. And I think it's, really? it, it's entirely because it's no wait it was '88. So '88. Yeah. Okay. And '91. And no surprise, Syracuse won one of those. Um, did they hate it so much being inside that they needed to move it? I also don't think Syracuse is a great location because it's not like the only people going to that Syracuse. It's still better than East and Hartford. Cornell, I guess. I guess I guess it's better than East Hartford by default. Like by like you have two fan bases that can get there versus not like I mean everyone. At least there's hotels and stuff in Syracuse. Yeah, that's true. There's like one. I think there's like one hotel near the stadium. Um, Hartford's not that far, but it's still like you have to hop on the highway. Right. Um, Although I guess you do for just about every Syracuse hotel too. Yeah, but that's I mean it's different. Right. <laughs> you don't have to. You can take the back roads if you want. Just sure. it's a weird way to do it. Um, yeah. So that's not till what like 2019. Is that the next? Is that when they? No, they're. They're 2019. I think they're back in Philly. They're in Foxborough the next two. I know that. Yeah, and then I think they're Philly, Philly, and then they're, and then for some reason, then they're in UConn. Fun. Well, hopefully, uh, I don't know. I was I was wishing it was in Philly because like I it's an easy. I'd much rather go to Philadelphia than Foxborough this year, but this is a much easier trip for me. But we'll see. I'd like to get back to the Final Four. Yeah, let's let's work on that first.
Yes. We'll have to have right before the tournament. We'll have to have Jim on again to uh, to chat lacrosse since you you and I can do it uh, some justice, but but not as much as he can. And also, we're like low key one of the craziest teams I can remember based oh, on how is, this played out. This is great. We're gonna have to have before the tournament <laughs> starts. We're gonna have to have a whole a whole episode about how this is like the dumbest season ever, but in a great way. I am absolutely terrified that they're going to lose in the first round oh, by one goal. You know what's going to happen if we face Army or Albany. Like, that's guaranteed. Oh, God. We're going to face Army, aren't we? We always face Army. Yeah, because we, like well, we, we, get, we get potted off, basically, and like this. But, like, Army... Actually, Army should I have be, no idea how Army's doing beyond the fact they they're have to throw off. Okay, so, so they're definitely they going to be... be yeah, they might be a seated team. Oh, please. Please, Army. Please get seated. I would love for our, <laughs> Army and Albany to be seated, please. That <laughs> would be much appreciated. Yeah, like... Every time we're, like, a number one or two seed, but I feel shaky about the team, which I do this year. Like, they only have one loss, but I, you can't not feel shaky considering all the games. Yeah, considering what, we could eight, have one win. Eight one-goal <laughs> games. Right. Like, they're, they're, they're on the razor's edge every game. Like, it just seems the perfect opportunity for us to drop a super first-round game as we have every so often. Mm, so We did that too recently. I feel like we need to... I feel like, I feel like this is the year that we at least get ourselves to, like... Regional final. Get back to the final four, and I'll be pretty happy. Like I, I, I'm not I would gonna... very much like that. Yes, I know we haven't won a championship in a in a bit. Um, obviously, that's the goal every year for Syracuse lacrosse. But like, we're at a point where if you get to the final four, like it's a pretty good year. I think I, I don't think you can gripe too much about getting to the final four. Um, obviously, you want to break the streak here, but um, at this point, like it, it, Syracuse isn't so overwhelming this year that I won't be happy with that. Agreed, agreed. Um, I think that's a good place to end it, Dan. Uh, thanks for hopping on, as always. Much obliged. Yes, yes. Look forward to it every week. As do I. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go Orange. Go Orange. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99. Bedroom sets from $399.99. Dining sets from $299.99 and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.